Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about concepts of repentance and resistance. But before we jump into that conversation, I would love to remind you or maybe make you aware of PeaceWorks Live. PeaceWorks Live is our uh, annual conference, and this year it is open to the public. That's right. Anyone uh, can attend PeaceWorks Live this year. Our focus is going to be on uh, awareness and general knowledge for pastors, leaders, and church members who want to get engaged in this work. And our speakers will include myself, Greg Wilson, and Ben Marshall. I really think you're going to want to be a part of PeaceWorks Live. Obviously, you can join us via live stream, but it is so much better in person. So uh, please take a look at uh, chrismoles.org. Get the information about PeaceWorks Live. And if you can make it, uh, plan to be with us. It's going to be in Charleston, West Virginia at Bible Center Church, September 7th and 8th. All right, friends. Well, there uh, today there have been some questions we're going to try to cover today about repentance. And I know that's a reoccurring theme on the podcast and on conversations that we have because, sadly, repentance is very difficult to measure in some regards. Uh, in particular, if we don't know what we're looking for or we don't understand the uh, significance of sin when it comes to uh, abusive behaviors and abusive tactics and abusive control. And so we're going to try to add some clarity to that. Uh, one question that came in was asking, you know, what are we looking for? Like, what are the shepherding team members really looking for when working with a guy in Men of Peace uh, regarding change? Like, what factors might we as team members um, consider necessary for moving forward with consequences or maybe no longer waiting? change. In fact, that was a theme of a recent conversation in PeaceWorks University, which seems to be uh, something that has struck a chord with a lot of helpers. And so if you're a pastor or ministry leader today, if you're a helper or biblical counselor, I I hope this podcast um, finds you well and finds you ready to listen to some of the concerns of helpers who walk in this work day after day after day. And one of the concerns that keeps coming back up is how long do we wait? Like, how long do we keep patiently walking with an abusive individual that lacks repentance but is willing to work? And and here is a theme that's just been coming up over and over and over again. This is the scenario. We've confronted, we've put out a plan. That plan includes walking through material like men of peace or attending a a group or working in biblical counseling towards change. This individual is faithful. They're always in group. They're always at counseling. They do their homework. They participate. Every like concrete, specific measurement that we lay down, something like do this worksheet, it gets done. Complete this homework, it gets done. Um, Go to this meeting, it gets done. What doesn't happen is evidence repentance. There seems to be no 
significant heart change. And what I mean by that is, yes, I'm willing to, to learn. I'm willing to continue to dialogue. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get my family back together. I'm doing, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to restore my relationship with the church. I am a hardworking guy who's committed to this process. However, I don't think I did anything wrong. I do think at the end of the day that my actions were not controlling. They were um, correct, that I should be entitled to rule my house, to dictate these terms, to use that tone of voice, to break things if I want to, to um, threaten my family. Like, literally, these are types of conversations that we're having. I, I will do the work, Chris, because I don't want to be ugly or mean to you, but I will not change. Now, granted, it's not that black and white. Usually it's a little bit more gray than that. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. It seems like or feels like there's two steps forward and and one step back uh, in this work a lot of times. But that's the gist. That's the heart, the meat of the question is like we see it. We see there's a real lack of change but he's willing to work. And so what we as church leaders do in these scenarios is we go, well, let's keep working. I mean, at least he's working. You know, at least we have a willing participant. At least we have what some would say a counselee. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we really, number one, and what's the benefit of pursuing a process that doesn't produce the necessary fruit for safety, sanity, and sanctification for that matter. So, yes, that is so, I'm so thankful that it's easy on us as leaders in insofar as a guy's willing to pursue a process that we've laid out. But I'm also grieved that it's difficult for us as leaders to see that the process isn't producing uh, the change that we were hoping. That while there was a willing participant, there wasn't a receptive heart. And it may be time to enact consequences. If you recall, you know, our job as a spiritually mature is to restore people in gentleness, but that doesn't remove the weight or significance of their consequences. God will not be mocked, Galatians 6 says. A man will reap what he sows. If the process that we've laid out to measure and establish and to provide a means by which an individual can change, repent, and evidence that repentance is not working because the individual invited into the process is not repenting, then why would we continue to mitigate or belay, you know, delay the consequences by continuing a process that is not seeing fruit? At some point, it is fair and right, and even kind for us to have the hard conversation. I appreciate the work, but it hasn't produced the desired outcome. While you have been busy completing the task that we've set before you, and that's admirable to to a degree, what's heartbreaking is that the Word of God hasn't taken root. You haven't surrendered and you're continuing the same patterns. And so therefore, we can't offer the forgiveness that you're looking for. We can't extend the restoration that you're looking for because repentance hasn't been present. It's okay to have those conversations. 
Now, the, the interesting thing to me, and this is where it, it will get a little soapboxy, I think, <laughs> is that while this is true and this is happening, you know, to our questioner who who's looking for factors, how long do we wait? And then the subsequent conversations that we've had in PeaceWorks University of, you know, some of the most of the team members and certainly the victim do not see repentance. And yet we are insisting on continuing because he's willing to work, right? He's willing to continue the process. How do we, how do we judge that? I think I would offer just an alternative scenario. I think that to me is the most helpful, you know, because in my mind, we've, your wife has confronted you. We've confronted you. We've given you every means that we have by which to move from unrighteousness to righteousness, to move from corruption, you know, to godly worldview development, to move from sin into holiness. We've given you the means of progressive sanctification that we have available. We've invited the Holy Spirit to do the work that only he can do. We've used the word of God to, to do the work that only it can do. And now we're inviting you to make the choice. And you have made a choice to straddle the fence. Your choice has been, well, I want the best of both worlds. I'll continue to meet with you because it keeps me in close proximity to my family, but I'm not willing to make the changes that are being asked of me. And the, of course, in a normal counseling care church situation, that would probably that would probably justify uh, the next step of church discipline. Because I've just described loosely uh, Matthew chapter 18. Your wife's confronted you. Others have confronted you. The church has confronted you. We've, we've patiently walked with you perhaps longer than we should have. Uh, it's time to fish or cut bait. It's time to make a decision. It's time to... Um, move forward, and you've given us no evidence that you're ready for that. And so until you do, until fruits of repentance are visible, uh, we're going to continue on. We're going to make the next step, uh, what we feel is the next necessary step for the safety of your family. And the, uh, the irony here is that there's a lot of resistance to what I just said. Well, he's, he's willing. Chris, he keeps showing up. He keeps going through the material. You know, isn't that a sign of repentance? Well, let me throw another scenario out there because I do think we are blind um, or at least um, a bit blinded uh, by this subject. And I think in, in some regards, we do not treat it equally to other sins. So let me just offer another scenario to you. Let's say we have a situation in which a wife has committed adultery against her husband. She has developed a um, intimate and sexual relationship with a coworker. It's come to light, and uh, the church has intervened along with the husband, who wants his wife to repent. She agrees to stop seeing the man at work intimately and sexually. She agrees to attend counseling, and for the next several months, she is faithful to biblical counseling. She does everything that we ask. She completes every homework assignment that we state. She even acknowledges that sexual immorality outside of marriage is wrong. However, she continues to text um, her former lover, the individual with whom she had the affair with, the adultery with. She continues to text them. They continue to have a relationship that is 
intimate while not sexual. We confront and we are told that we're overreacting, that I've done everything that you've asked me to do. I've stopped seeing him. I've stopped being sexual with him. I'm committed to my husband. I'm committed to my family. But I do want to continue to have a relationship with him in this regard. In fact, I want to continue to have a relationship with many men in this regard. And so I'm part of this website and I'm part of this service. And while I'm not committing physical adultery, I'm continuing to practice what I believe is okay. However, I've done everything that you've asked. Maybe we should just continue working. Is there ever a point in that scenario where the seemingly blatant uh, disregard for scriptural principles and the continued affection towards one's sin, is there ever a point at which the church goes, you haven't changed anything of significance. You've done the work to remain connected to the body, but you haven't done the work to maintain that relationship with Jesus to evidence real repentance. And and I really do think that churches would be, quite frankly, much more inclined to discipline the adulterous woman in my story than they would the abusive husband. Um, And with the abusive husband seem far more willing. And I, I get it. I understand the complexities. I really do. But I do want you to hear from a helper's perspective how frustrating it is to continue to see no repentance, no real movement for towards change, and mere compliance uh, as being enough, enough to warrant another day, another month, another year, uh, rather than acting and um, instituting and participating in consequences and um, protecting those who have been harmed. So what are we looking for? I mean, mean, we're looking for lasting heart change. You'll often hear me um, walk through 2 Corinthians chapter 7. That's one that I like to work with with guys, where I'll talk about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, and how godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Worldly sorrow uh, leads to death and that godly sorrow has produced some things, some evidence in you, in these Corinthians, uh, which are things like earnestness, uh, indignation towards their sin, uh, longing, concern, readiness uh, to see justice done, to see recompense, to see restitution. Uh, At every point, he says, you've been innocent in this matter. Like, you guys have really been striving to live out your repentance, and one of the things that we are concerned about as helpers is that sometimes the real effort is to maintain the status quo, not to evidence real repentance. So is there a sense of justice? I have wronged my family. What do I have to do to make it right? Is there an anger towards my sin? I have harmed those that I love. I want to love and serve and be kind instead. Is there a real clear um, spiritual, mental, emotional, and behavioral retrack of the sin and discovery of, uh, of a new way to live, the putting off, right, and the putting on. I'll often uh, use an adapted version of Paul Tripp's uh, illustration in Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, if you're familiar with Paul Tripp, where he talks about this uh, 
I call it the descending arrows, but it moves from a desire to punishment. I desire, I expect, I demand, I'm disappointed, I judge, and then I punish. And that's kind of this cycle of sin, this this descending arrow of sin. And I will often ask guys to walk me through that with their abuse and then conversely say, now, what would the opposite look like? If I'm going to really put this off, if I'm going to really repent from this idol, these desires, I didn't get satisfied, right? What will I now put in its place? So the questions I ask are things like, well, what do you believe about God, others, and yourself? And how does that belief stack up with Scripture? If you have a biblical worldview about God's self and others, then the next question would be, what does God expect or want or desire of you? Not what you desire, but what does God desire of you? In light of that, how do you view the world? So if you have um, a real clear expectation of what God desires of you, how do you view circumstances that don't go, go your way? How do you view people? And what do you expect from circumstances and situations? And what do you now expect from people? What changes do you believe you should see in your behavior if all the other things are true, if your worldview is biblical and godly, if you understand what God wants from you and you want to be a worshiper, if you view circumstances and people through that lens, what behaviors should we expect to see? And then, another, and then the last one is, how will other people perceive you? How will you be a blessing to those around you? That's a very different set of circumstances, right? A very different set of questions than saying, okay, have you done the workbook today? Did you watch the videos? Have you completed the homework? Did you do a log list? All of these are good things, right? Did you memorize um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13? All of these, again, wonderful things. But the question is not, are you able to ascribe or are you able to complete tasks? The question is, are you willing to allow your heart to be changed? Do you want something different? It's not that I've memorized 2 Corinthians 5, 9. It's that I've applied it. I want to live for God's pleasure whether I'm dead or alive. And that should change the way I see the world, how I see others, how I see my partner. It should change the way that I behave, and that behavior should bless people, not harm people. I hope that's helpful. I hope that adds at least some clarity to the complexity. Repentance is necessary. If we own our sin and we own the abusive ways that we've tried to control and harm our partner, then repentance is the necessary next step. It's time-consuming. It requires time to see the evidence of that. And the evidence of repentance is not mere compliance, right? Not mere compliance but moving from acknowledgement to acceptance to practice the practical theology of putting off and putting on. And if that doesn't happen, if we are confrontational ministers who have done everything that we can to, to invite this individual into repentance gently and it is not accepted, then it is okay for us to turn our attention to the needs of the victim to meet their needs, to provide for their safety, to provide for clarity, to provide for their well-being spiritually and mentally and physically um, and complete church discipline 
when it comes to the abusive heart. Well, again, I hope that was helpful. I appreciate you guys so much being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Um, please go to chrismoles.org, check out the resources that we have. Please consider learning more about this topic and others at our annual conference, PeaceWorks Live, September 7th and 8th at Bible Center Church in Charleston, West Virginia. We appreciate you guys. Until next time, God bless.